Welcome to Reddit Reads, our slash pro revenge. Our first Reddit post is from Sister Sist. Posting from a throwaway, power-hungry president sucks the joy out of a local artist collective ends up having to leave town. I heard all this secondhand, as it was happening, so I'll try to be as faithful to the actual events as possible. A warning and an apology, this is long. For background, my older sister, who I'll call Beth, Beth is a pretty laid-back person, but she has one hot-button trigger that causes her to have zero chill. Anyone treating her beloved Craig is very quiet and kind, just in general a mildmannered, good-natured guy who's not great at standing up for himself. Beth is usually pretty relaxed about things, but she will basically turn into a howling vengeance-seeking banshee if anyone takes advantage of Craig. Which brings us to 23 years ago. Craig works a white-collar job remotely, but he's an amateur artist craftsman as a hobby. He does wood carving, a little bit of light metal work, and twat art mainly pencil sketches and penandink illustrations. He joined an artist's collective makerspace where he could work on these hobbies around like-minded people, and he absolutely loved it. Whenever I hung out with him and Beth around this time, Craig would excitedly talk about the space and his projects there with infectious enthusiasm. His eyes were practically beaming out of his head whenever it came up. Beth joined too to learn improve on her own hobby of fiber arts, mainly weaving and dyeing, but she was way less into it than Craig. Sometime after this, the president of the makerspace stepped down. It was essentially a volunteer position, though it came with a small, mostly symbolic stipend. Since the Makerspace had no actual staff, being president of the Makerspace was a huge undertaking that involved being a omen show for everything for a start, coordinating with the board, keeping day-to-day -day operations going, and chasing the grants that kept the lights on. The current president just couldn't do it anymore with his full-time job, and announced his intention to vacate the role. Craig had come to love the Makerspace, and he figured he had the resources to be an effective president. So he threw his hat in the ring. His job is entirely remote and deliverables-based. He can work whatever hours he wants as long as he's meeting his objectives. So he figured he could work out of the makerspace on his laptop. Enter Jamie, a recent industrial design grad. Jamie was known to be flaky and very dramatic. He lost his damn mind when he heard that Craig had the audacity to go for the same role and complained to several members about how Craig was massively overstepping. Long story short, Jamie won the member vote by a small margin, which Craig was very gracious about. This got back to Craig, who didn't really take it seriously, and it also got back to Beth, who, of course, was already irritated that Jamie was shit-steering, but kept it to herself. Craig congratulated Jamie on the victory, then settled back into business as usual. Jamie was not so gracious. He was enraged that Craig had gotten so many votes, and made it known to everyone that he was trying to figure out who had voted for Craig, and that they would pay. But it gets worse. Many of the members who had voted for Jamie passively because he'd been around forever, and they didn't really know Craig were shocked by this behavior and started privately expressing regret to each other. 
The Makerspace had always offered members the perk of sponsoring workshops, meetups, and classes that anyone, members or non-members, could attend. All you had to do was sign up for the space on a first-come, first-served basis and kick up 20 of any profits to the Makerspace if you charged a fee. Jamie started preemptively cancelling classes and workshops sponsored by anyone on his shit list by blocking off all available reservations during the regular times certain classes would be held. He tried switching to Thursday, but after just one rescheduled workshop, suddenly Thursday evenings were out too. So Craig had traditionally sponsored a popular casting workshop on Wednesday evenings, and suddenly all Wednesday evenings were booked solid before the synop sheet was even available. He tried Tuesdays, but because it was so early in the week, no one could come. Craig was bummed, but was still too good-natured to realize Jamie was intentionally sabotaging him out of spite, despite a righteously angry Beth trying to paint the picture for him of what was going on. Beth was pissed. But she wasn't banshee pissed yet. Not until Jamie selectively told the people on his shit list that member fees were going up by almost double. He presented this as a makerspace-wide policy, but he made one crucial error. Somehow Jamie never picked up on Craig and Beth being married, probably because he was never around both of them at the same time. So Beth flew under his radar and he didn't raise her member fees, just Craig's and some of Craig's known friends, which confirmed to her that he was intentionally retaliating against Craig. At this point, Beth had steam coming out of her ears and went to go talk to the board, since they have the power to cite or even throw out the president. They were uneasy about what she told them, but they said the president was technically allowed to set member fees and they'd keep an eye on things. Beth didn't really believe the board that they'd be keeping an eye on things, because Jamie was already dropping the ball all over the place, and the board wasn't making a peep over it. He wanted to be president because of the prestige, but he was never willing to do the work, so he just didn't do it, and things were falling apart. The makerspace was getting late notices on unpaid bills, Basic maintenance of the space wasn't getting done, materials weren't being restocked as they ran out, and the record-keeping was non-existent. It got so bad that the previous president who had stepped down because he couldn't handle the time commitment anymore who had run the makerspace from its inception quit as a member altogether because he was so saddened and disgusted by how bad things had gotten. He put his blood, sweat, and tears into this place, and stepped in down from a role he treasured because he believed it was in the best interest of the organization, and now he had to watch Jamie run this place he loved into the ground out of sheer laziness. Beth, at this point, had gone from furiously angry to strategically angry. Craig was also losing his excitement over the makerspace, because he no longer had the space or resources to do the things he enjoyed there, Suspecting that Jamie was being shady in more ways than one, she spent a few days being friendly to Jamie and sucking up to him, and then sprung on him the offer to help with the organization's bookkeeping and records. Still not realizing that she was Craig's wife, but knowing that she worked as a project manager in her day job, Jamie saw a chance to get some skilled work done at zero effort to himself, and he happily agreed, 
and gave her access to the makerspace Google Sheets, not the most high-tech operation. For a little while, Beth bided her time bringing the financial accounts up to date and continuing to be diabolically friendly to Jamie. These documents proved that Jamie was not only skimming money off the top of class and workshop fees, but was actively stealing money from the grants the makerspace was receiving, which is highly illegal. After a while of this, she calmly pulled together six copies of documents comparing the official organizational income that Jamie was reporting to her with the actual income, which Jamie was completely unaware she was tracking. Beth gave the six board members her impeccably compiled proof of what was happening. Almost immediately the board fired Jamie and issued a lifetime ban from the makerspace. They were afraid of losing their grants if news came out about the gross misappropriation, so they didn't report Jamie to the authorities, but instead gave him 48 hours to return the stolen funds. He panicked and complied, selling his car quickly to do it and scrounging up the difference in a ton of quick loans from friends, many of whom were makerspace members not aware of what was going on. No, he never paid them back. He's now persona non grata with all of his former friends, and while he still has a clean criminal record, word traveled pretty far in the local artist community, which means he was blacklisted from most of the industrial design jobs in the area and couldn't use his degree if he wanted to stay in town. As far as Beth and Craig knew, he moved away about six months after all this went down, but they haven't kept up with him and don't know where he is. The makerspace board realized their setup was bad, so instead of a single president, they restructured to have a panel of volunteer officers running the operation. Craig is one of them and has happily thrown himself back into woodworking and metal casting. Beth still helps out with the books. Edit OK, so revisiting these events in this post got me curious about Jamie. TL Drive Power Hungry Industrial Designer Tries to Sabotage My Brother-in-Law's Hobby Gets His Life Destroyed by My Protective Sister, Who Reveals That He's Embezzling. He lives in Austin, and he's still working in the food service industry for the same chain he worked at throughout college. Based on the info I've been able to find, it looks like Aside from an unpaid internship, he did right before he took over the makerspace. He's never worked a job that used his degree. So there's that. Edit 2 forgot to say thanks for the Reddit. Very unnecessary, but a kind gesture nonetheless. This comment is from Sister Sist. She is ridiculously in love with Craig. It gets gross sometimes. This comment is from Tama2597. That's a good woman. This comment is from Jaylar. I need a woman like Beth in my life. Outstanding work. Our next Reddit post is from Away 4 My friend's ex-wife gets, his family's business shut down and burns their lives to the ground, not what you may think. Sorry for the somewhat misleading title, but I couldn't resist. This story isn't about me, but two people I'm friends with. We'll call one Ray and one Justin. I'm posting this with Justin's permission, and he'll probably be reading the thread. Some background Ray and Justin grew up in an extremely restrictive insular religious community that borders on being a cult. In high school, this shared mindset brought them together, and they started secretly dating. 
They both read a lot from a young age, even though reading outside of the religion's material was discouraged, and so both of them grew increasingly skeptical and dissatisfied with their environment. You went straight from single to married with zero in between. For context, dating was absolutely strictly verboten in this religious community. So when Justin and Ray's parents caught them dating, they forced them to get married. Ray and Justin started living together as husband and wife. To be clear, it wasn't like they were even having sex. They basically were driving around together and holding hands in the downtown square where all the kids hung out for retained shelter red kids stuff. They set up a secret bank account at a bank outside the religious community's influence. They started squirreling away money in small amounts. The families wouldn't question being missing from their paychecks. When they were 20, they finally had enough money to start over, and they got out. They basically left their house in the dead of night with nothing but what could fit in their car and uprooted to live across the country. Pretty quickly after they moved, they decided to get amicably divorced, since they never wanted to be married anyway. They still lived together for a while and basically became something between platonic roommates and each other's only family. Over time, they started dating other people. I also met both of them during this time, and we became close friends. Some partners were scared off by the weird relationship between them, but most got it and understood that Justin and Ray had basically bonded though mutual trauma. This whole time, both their families and other members of their community were relentlessly harassing them. Then Justin had a bad accident. People were showing up at their house at all hours, and they had reason to believe people were trying to steal their identities over the years, though they'd fortunately both put a freeze on their credit, so nothing ever came of it. A really bad accident. He had to be rushed to the hospital and landed in the ICU. He was on his bike, and a car blew through a stop sign without slowing down and plowed right into him. Ray was his emergency contact, and I was with her and some other friends when she got the call. I immediately drove her to the hospital with a couple of other people, and she was melting down understandably. She came out periodically to let us know what was going on. The hospital staff wouldn't let us all in when we got there, but they let Ray in. Justin wasn't unconscious, but he was totally out of it and didn't seem to know she was there, probably from the painkillers but she was convinced he had permanent dehabilitating brain damage and basically the group of us were just soothing her and reassuring her it would be fine. A friend of ours who worked at the hospital as an MRI tech was also stopping by when she could on her brakes and calming down Ray. We'd been there all night and part of the day at this point and the medical staff was giving us reason to be hopeful. But things got worse. They immediately had all of us removed from the ICU, Ray included. To this day, no one knows how they found out, but 14 hours after Justin's accident, his parents, uncles, and grandfather showed up. Unfortunately, as his ex-wife, at this point, she was absolutely hysterical and inconsolable. She was convinced Justin's family would hurt him. I'm ashamed to say all three of us that were there with her thought she was overreacting. We all knew Ray and Justin had left a fuckage-up situation, but it wasn't like his own family would do anything to impede his recovery. 
She was getting angry with us for trying to calm her down, and tried to explain that according to their religion, she and Justin deserved punishment from God, and only the greatest suffering could prompt repenting and redemption. She said their families embraced this thinking and wanted them to suffer, because it would prove that they did the wrong thing by leaving, and suffering would drive them back to the fold. She said as long as Justin was with his family, he wouldn't be safe. Our friend who worked for the hospital came and found Ray at that point. She made Ray swear up and down she wouldn't tell anyone she told her this, because she could get in deep trouble for releasing privileged information to someone unauthorized, but she'd caught wind that Justin's parents were aggressively demanding the hospital release him into their care, and they were involving lawyers. This shocked the rest of us. The hospital was currently refusing, because Justin wasn't stable enough to leave, but our friend warned Ray that as soon as Justin got to be stable, or the lawyers scared the hospital enough, it's possible the parents would be able to take Justin. At this point, Ray snapped into Doherty mode. Realizing his parents were not only willing to remove Justin from the hospital, that had saved his life in the condition he was still in, but were actively trying to do it made us really get for the first time why Ray was going out of her head with fear. Convinced that Justin was about to literally die if she didn't act, she decided she would do everything in her power to start a fire at home so that Justin's family would want to run back to put it out. And this wasn't too hard, because she had a lot of dirt on the whole community she came from. Like a madwoman, she started blowing the whistle all over Justin's family. She called the Urza's fraud hotline and detailed all the ways that the family business was committing tax fraud. She submitted an ATF tip about how that same family business was illegally selling firearms without a license and without following any of the proper protocols and was knowingly selling guns to convicted felons. She reported one of Justin's uncles for owning several guns as a convicted felon. She called CPS on Justin's uncles and his parents for keeping their children out of school and for physical abuse in one uncle's case. She also reported Justin's mom's unlicensed daycare business, which was apparently extremely shady, including having over 30 children packed into one house, with Justin's mom as the only adult and many of the childcare duties being farmed out to Justin's 12- and 14-year-old sisters. In all of these reports, she provided extensive details. She finished her calls and emails, and then she waited. We all waited for several hours, and nothing happened. From there began a slow, but steady path to recovery. Then, miraculously, Justin became lucid enough to understand what was going on and make his own decisions, and he kicked his family out again. In all the relief and excitement to see Justin on the mend, we'd almost forgotten about Ray's campaign of desperation, until a couple of weeks later, when the screaming voicemails started pouring into both of them. Then, the daycare was getting investigated. First, the business was being investigated by the IRS, then it was being investigated for illegal firearms dealing. At first, Ray felt a little guilty, but then she was like, you know what, no regrets. They would have killed Justin. From what they've been able piece together in the year and a half, since this happened, the business has gone under, and the daycare is shuttered. 
the uncle is six months into a new five-year prison sentence for firearm possession, CPS investigated, which scared the shit out of the family, but nothing really came of it, which is especially sad in the case of the cousins being physically abused. So Justin's little siblings are at least getting their education. That said, the parents are now too scared to keep the kids home from school, and with the unlicensed daycare shut down, the mom's not exploiting her daughter's labor anyway. Justin and Ray are both happy and thriving. Justin, unfortunately, will never fully recover from the accident. He has some permanent neurological damage that results in tremors. But he's pumped to be alive, he can work a full-time job. He can still be pretty physically active, T.L. Drive kooky abusive family tries to remove my friend from critical medical care because reasons. Edit thank you for the gold and platinum anonymous Redditors. It's unnecessary but very appreciated. Edit too sorry I can't answer any questions about what the religious grout cult is, even the pmid ones. Justin really doesn't want this post coming back to haunt him and Ray IRL, and I feel like I've already probably said more than I should have about it. And it three years later, I posted an update on what's going on with Justin and Ray on my profile. This comment is from Thejofgit. As somebody that comes from an insular cult family, that is amazing. I've noticed that often bad people tend to do a lot of bad things and get arrogant with what they feel they can get away with. Kudos to Ray and Justin for escaping from a fellow escapee. They are setting themselves up in a way that can really hurt. This comment is from Throwaway Away For. I naively assumed before all this that even the worst families ultimately don't want their loved ones to be hurt or to die, and this really changed my perspective. It's hard for people who grow up in good homes to understand what a truly toxic and abusive family can be like, and I still feel a lot of guilt for not trying harder before this happened, to understand what Justin and Ray had experienced earlier in their lives. This comment is from Arrogansub. If they haven't already, they should get powers of attorney signed so family can't do this again. That was Reddit Reads. R slash pro revenge. If you like this content, please rate this podcast five stars. We upload new videos every day. See you tomorrow.